0: Please
1: be seated. Good morning, High Point. My name is Femi. uh, And I'm sorry for a short-lived seating, but you may stand. Please stand with me for the scripture reading for this morning. Advent is an annual season of patient waiting and hopeful expectation. The word Advent means coming. And as we await Christmas Day, we remember the coming of Christ as a baby and we await the second coming of Christ, our King. Each week as we light the candles in the advent wreath, we allow ourselves to reset our minds and our desires. The world invites us into a time of rushing. Advent invites us into a time of waiting. The world invites us into a time of excess. Advent invites us into a time of anticipation. The world invites us into a time of stress. Advent invites us into a time of stillness. Please join me in the following responsive reading as we focus on how Jesus, the star, brings peace. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, those in a dark land, on them the light has shone. Jesus, the star, brings peace. The tender mercy of our God has given to us a rising sun from heaven, a light in the shadow of death, guiding our feet into the path of peace. Jesus, the star, brings peace. For Jesus says, I am the root and the descendant of David. The bright morning star. Jesus, high peace. The peace of God guards my heart. Yes, God's peace which surpasses all understanding, as my heart, and my mind, in Christ. Jesus, peace. Lord, you are the light of the world, and by your grace, you have come to dwell among us. You may be seated.
0: Thanks, Femi. I'm digging that orange sweater, man. That's pretty good. This is my Christmas sweater, you know. My wife likes it. Um, Praise God. Um, I'm I'm, uh, Lloyd. I'm one of the pastors here at High Point Church. Uh, This is our, our second installment in the Joy to the World series based on Rick Forster's uh, book, uh, Joy for the World. And where we're talking about how we as God's people, those who have come to Jesus in repentance and faith, uh, been received the Holy Spirit, been placed in community in the local church, that we uh, live out the joy for the world as we go in our families, as we work, as we go in school or at work with those who don't know us well and who may not share our Christian faith, um, and with our, and our neighbors in our community organizations, that we display the reign of Christ in how we live. And that brings us joy and brings joy to others. Today, we're gonna talk about how uh, the, the church receives Christ as king, and how we live that out faithfully in the world. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, We see this in um, our text. This sermon is going to be uh, topical. It's not going to be me walking through a specific uh, text, um, but I do want to uh, read you a text that shows how we as the the family of God live out our faith in the world. First Peter chapter two verses four through twelve, uh, page eighteen forty seven. If you'll turn there with me eighteen forty seven. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. As you come to him, the living stone, that is Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God the Father and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, Now once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. This morning I'm, I'm talking about receiving Christ as king, how Christians can, can do that. Um, when I was a kid, when I was a kid growing up in, in Chicago on the west side of town with my parents, my dad was the worst person in the world about hiding presents, amen? He was like some of you parents and telling your, Christmas, your kids about Santa Claus, I don't know, you know, for five, for years. Right? So he would hide the, the toys in this one room in the basement every year and never assumed that we never would figure out how to go in there and find out what we were getting. But after Thanksgiving, we would be just so excited about Christmas. We knew, uh, like kind of most middle class-ish kids, that we were going to get toys and probably more than we needed. And that it was going to be kind of a fun time. And so for for the first 13, 14 years or so of, of our lives, Christmas was about me receiving gifts. Then you get to your college years and you start to have nieces and nephews. Uh, You start to have a girlfriend. I had had one girlfriend before Deborah. This this one, though. You start to have, and you start to give gifts. You start to give gifts. You get get married, you have uh, children, and you begin to actually enjoy it. The look on their face when a child sees a long-awaited gift that they've been asking you for since January, and they finally receive it on on Christmas Day, and they have this this huge uh, 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 sense of joy. Oh, there's this story I could tell you about my wife's family, but I'm not going to tell you, but she knows. (laughs) Now, now, uh, even as a kid, though, there would be one tradition of Christmas where even in my thinking of Christmas about giving, and receiving gifts. It would break through the clutter and help me begin to see what Christmas really is all about. And, um, we're going to play that piece for you now. This is from 90 second clip. Uh, even now I never tire of seeing this 90 second clip, uh, about what Christmas is all about. Listen in, the
1: right, Linus, I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds
0: Next slide please. So Christians are the ones who've given the stewardship to tell the world what Christmas is all about. How is it that the church receives Christ as king? The church succeeds in receiving Jesus as king when it embodies his rule in the world. Um, The uh, church fathers from the early period began to see Jesus' ministry break down into three core offices. The first is his prophetic office. We call Jesus the Word. He is the one whom for which our faith and practice is governed by. He's a prophet. He's also a priest. It's from his death and resurrection for which satisfaction to God is made for any and every sin. Any and every sin from the beginning of time through the end of time is accomplished through Jesus Christ he is the eternal priest forever and lastly he is the king through his lordship through his leading and then the church is following he is king and he leads now we as Christ's followers are to live this out these three offices we are to to live out as God's mouthpiece, we are his prophets. We embrace the word of God and we share it with others for their goodness, right? And we are his priests. Not that we are atoning sacrifices, but we give our lives, we dedicate our lives to Jesus and to serving others for his glory and the good of the world. We are spiritual sacrifices. The scripture that I just read calls us a, a, a royal priesthood. And lastly, we are his his stewards. This task we've studied, if you've been here at High Point uh, since September, we've studied this very carefully. But God has given us a stewardship, and we are to represent his rule by how we create, how we steward, and how we we grow. We're to be a blessing to the the world, that stewardship. In that way, we show God's authority. So this morning, I want to talk about these three things. Um, The prophet is our doctrine. The Word of God, these 66 books, are the things that we depend on for our faith and practice. Our devotion is our priesthood. The most effective Christians, really what a Christian is, is one who's given their lives to the service of Christ. Our devotion. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our devotion. And lastly, our stewardship, how every aspect of our lives is dedicated to the service of of the Lord. I can see you worshiping in the grocery store, at business, as you wash dishes at home, as you hang out with your friends in the neighborhood, as you teach in the schools, in every capacity for which God has given you, that your, your act of worship can be seen. And this notion of Jesus as prophet, Jesus as priest, Jesus as king, and the church embodying it, we can see from the earliest days of the church. We can see it in passages like Acts 2, 42 through 47. Look here, they devoted, right? That's our, that is our, our priesthood. They devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching, um, those that Jesus commissioned and sent with his, with his word, the word is our is our everything. Impossible to know who Jesus is without an appreciation and a love and a great respect for his word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Here's, here's more of this, the priesthood, of fellowship, of breaking of bread, and of prayer. And in a large church like ours, for you to experience some of that, that priesthood, that, that shared life, that devotion, it's not going to happen in this sanctuary where we got 300 uh, about 400 people or so here. It's going to happen when we get together, like the early apostles did, to get to remind ourselves of who Jesus is, to stir ourselves out up for good works, as the earliest apostles did. So they had the word they were prophets. They took it in, and they took it out, and they sent it out. They had communion. They were were priests. And the Holy Spirit acted with great power as they lived out the life God had for them. So even though we can't see our king, even though he's invisible to the eye, his works are not invisible. And in the earliest days, when the, when the word went out to save, the power of God went out to heal people. And even now, Christians are engaged in whole life transformation. That's why we work in the medical professions. That's why we teach. That's why we preach. That's why we're in schools. That's why we're in every aspect of life. Because our responsibility is to bring blessing to all aspects of life just as the earliest disciples were. And how did they they steward the gospel? How did they steward it? All the believers were together and had everything in common. Listen to this. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Uh, The wealthy had enough and the poor didn't have any lack. The wealthy had enough and with the poor there was no lack. That's how it ought to be in our local congregations. We ought to be selfless enough that we can make sure that the really needy get enough. And we ought to have enough faith to recognize that when we give, God will make sure that we've got enough. Come on with me. You have enough when you give to other people's needs. And the poor, if they're within our fellowship, they should always have enough. That's how the early disciples lived out their faith. This was how they stewarded. This is how they did whole life stewardship. They sold property and gave to everyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They had to be reminded of these fundamental things. We shouldn't consider it weak when we come and hear the gospel preached to us, a slightly different slant from Nick, a slightly different stamp from Mike, a slightly different from Vince. We should not be uh, put, uh, put b- b- back by that that we need to be reminded of the the good things that we have in God. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They shared their food and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. While we have such a tradition, we were talking a little bit about the tradition of of High Point Church. Um, The elders and some of the staff were talking about where we're going in the future. And one of the persons said, you know, one of the things I like about High Point Church is that we generally, unless we're just trying to do something artistic, we won't just have the piano, but we'll have the bass guitar, and we'll have uh, the the violin, and we'll have all kinds, God has given us all kinds of musicians so that we can sing with sincere and glad hearts, amen? And oftentimes we'll sing communal songs, songs that we all know, so that we can all participate and express our joy to the Lord. And so, and so there's this, uh, I mean, Christians oughtn't be sad and, and broken down and disheartened people all the time. You know, to, to, uh, to sorrow for good reason is good, but not every day. Come on with me. So these people were rejoicing through their difficulties. Now, this is a period of tremendous persecution for the church. You'll see that later in, in the book of Acts. But in that they could see God moving and saving among them and providing. And then they, they knew that they were God's and that God was theirs. And that was enough to give them tremendous joy. That's got to be enough for us to have tremendous joy these days. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this ministry of being the prophetic voice of Jesus, receiving it into our hearts, his word, and sharing it with others, of being um, human sacrifices. Uh, Not many of us will have to give our lives for God, um, i.e. our blood through persecution, but some of us might. But we're to be living sacrifices, giving our lives for the good of Christ and the world and each other. We're to be living sacrifices. And we are to do this in every aspect of our life, not just in these nice, quiet, Comfortable pews, but out there when it's not comfortable and when it hurts. The church succeeds in receiving Jesus as King when it embodies His rule in this world. So I'm going to dig deeper in this. We succeed in receiving Jesus when we embrace His authoritative word. We succeed in receiving Jesus as King when we give ourselves wholeheartedly to Christ and His gospel. And we succeed in receiving Jesus as King when we practice good stewardship in all of life how we represent jesus as prophet priest and king first we look at his word the bible has authority because it is god's word it's not man's creation though there are some brilliant men both christian and non-christian who say things that can be helpful for your life the bible's authoritative not because it has brilliant philosophers behind it but it has the King of kings and the Lord of lords behind it. And the, the, the apostles wanted the Christians to notice. And here's how Peter said it. He said it this way. Second Peter 1, 19 and 20. He said, we also have the prophetic message, the word from Christ, God's word, as something completely reliable. Completely reliable. That's why it's so important that we understand it, though it be sometimes difficult. There are certain difficult passages and that that preachers will make their best efforts to explain. And why it's so important that you understand it is because it's completely reliable. Once you get the right understanding, you can go to the bank spiritually on it. Completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. It's going to be a blessing. As to a light shining in a dark place, and there's so many difficult decisions that have to be made. There's so many complexities in the world today. So many disagreements so many injustices and we are called out to understand what is the true and the right way and to live it out and to share that with the world and so without Jesus there's darkness there's lack of understanding there's just opinion but with Jesus there's authority and there's power and it's seen in how it shows up in our lives and in the lives of the church after the morning star rises in our hearts, above all, you've got to understand that prophecy of scripture came about by uh, that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. So so you know, when I preach, it's not authoritative in a sense, but my job is to properly communicate what God's word meant to the best of my ability empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the word of God, where I'm not totally reliable, this is totally reliable. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, so that from Moses and Genesis all the way through Revelations and John the Apostle, the idea is that the words were, the, the actual words, the personality was the personality, but the Holy Spirit mediated it in such a way that what you have reliably understood properly is God's word. And, 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 and I know this because of I've tried it out. So I, I, I understand the doctrinal, I understand a, a bit of the history of how we got our Bibles and how the early church made decisions about which, which ancient writings were authoritative or, or not. And I fully concur with how they did, but I've got more of, an, of, of a testament to its accuracy than that. I've seen it work its way out. I've seen the word increase joy. I've got a good friend of mine that I went to college with and then worked with for about 12 years, and uh, a Christian. He, and he got married young like I did, and, uh, but uh, about four years ago, he called me up and said, Lloyd, my marriage is broken. And I was like, oh boy. And I know this guy, and I know his wife, and I know his two children, and, and uh, been long-term friends. And He lives in Colorado, and I was here in Madison, and I said, okay, uh, we, i got to walk you through the scripture about marriage. And uh, Tim Keller r- wrote a great book called The Meaning of Marriage, where he unpacks Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Uh, In 21, he talks about submit yourselves one to the other, that that's the core. And and there's so many offenses in marriage. Over 30 years, uh, they would have been married about 26 or so by by that time. There's so many different ways in which you offend your spouse. Sometimes you know better, sometimes you don't. (laughs) And there's so many ways in which you can be deceived into feeling that I'll only give 100% if she gives hundred percent and that is totally unbiblical because the scripture says submit yourselves to one another a hundred percent hundred percent and I was convincing this guy that he had to give hundred percent when he thought his wife was only giving 50 <laughs> so we, 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 we read over 10 weeks and long phone conversations and lots of tears on his side and my side he started practicing new understanding bit by bit, and I saw not only, he said, Lloyd, I tried what you said in relation to how I was working with my son, and it works. I was like, amen, and his marriage is stronger than it ever has been before, and then not by me, but by the power of God's word, Uh, it increases joy, and when I see God's word work in my life, work in my wife's life, work in your life, work in your family situation, with your tough in-law situation, with, with your tough boss, with your difficult children, when I see God's word work its way out, that increases joy in me. I, can, I, I learn how to trust God more and more as I see his word confirmed more and more in daily life. It establishes families. That guy and his wife was one of 10 couples that when I was 23 and 24 and was getting married, all young Uh, very baby, immature-ish questions, trying to study the word of God and what it had to say about marriage. We did a a self-directed Bible study. No, no spiritually mature person. I don't recommend this, okay, but I'll just tell you this is what we did. 30 years later, only one divorce out of the 10. That's the power of God's word. That's why I know God's word is true. I know God's word is true because it saves marriages. I know that God's word is true because it establishes families. I know God's word is true because it helps with relationships. First Corinthians uh, 13, this same friend, we've been friends for a long time and we worked together in some difficult, stressful situations at work. And every so often we would say some things to each other that we shouldn't say. And we learned uh, this one thing about, um, about the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5. Relationships I'm talking about now. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. Uh, his career took off a little faster than mine did. And I learned through Christ to be glad for him. In a sense, he was a competitor, but in a bigger sense, he was my brother. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. Here's what I wanted to talk mostly about. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. One day we were in the office and fighting about something silly. And either he or I said this, he says, you know what? You'll never have any friends unless you learn how to overlook an offense. One of us said it, and we just started laughing. And it's the truest thing about friendship I've ever learned. You'll never have any really good friends unless you learn how to overlook an offense. That's how Christians are. Through Jesus, we know we've been forgiven everything. Everything we've ever did, everything we're going to do on the cross, Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he's accomplished forgiveness, and so there's no sin that any boss, any child, any friend, any wife could commit for which you could not forgive, that you could not overlook it. That's the power of the gospel. It establishes your friendships. It makes your friendships persevere. And lastly, it maintains hope. One of the things about being a pastor is you get to see people walk through really hard stuff. Harder than you've ever had to work through. Like we got several folks here who, got, who, who are raising children with disabilities or they are roommating with siblings that have disabilities. And to watch them walk through it. And this morning after first service, I talked to a couple who's been um, foster parents for a child for three years and the child is struggling with who to love. Their natural mom, uh, can they give themselves fully to these foster parents? It's just tough. And they have their own children and I watched these people through the love of Christ still experience great joy through pain, through some uncertainty, without a lot of self-pity. And I know that through their hope, I know that Jesus is real. I watch some of our older saints and sometimes younger live knowing that they're going to die with no bitterness in their heart. And they have an ability to pray for me. And I know that God's word is good. Come on, talk with me. So it's not just that I believe in how the Bible was constructed. I also see it true in, in life. I've, I've tried it and found it true for myself. Come on with me. So the word of God is authoritative. It's, it, is, it is prophetic. And we live out that ministry of prophecy. Secondly, we succeed in receiving Jesus as king when we wholeheartedly devote ourselves to Christ and his gospel. Uh, I don't encourage you to get your spiritual material out of Facebook. Facebook. But my sister-in-law, Karen, I don't know what the context was, but last week or two, she sent out this one. And I thought it was so good I would share it to you. We didn't; She didn't know the author. The American dream is to get it all. The kingdom dream is to give our all. I like the way uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says it. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be Conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that that you may know his good, perfect, and pleasing will. And so we don't live for ourselves. We live for Jesus and I live for you, for your good. You live for my good and the good of of others. And we know the good because we know the word. We don't do self-destructive things out of stupidity, calling it love, because we know the difference. We combine our love with patience. We combine our love with truth. We combine our love p- with perseverance. We don't, we're not naive or stupid. We have a wise perspective on what love is. But having understood it well, then we live it out. Amen? We give. The dream, dream is to give our all. And David said it this way in Psalm 51, 17. God doesn't need our stuff, but he wants our heart. He wants our heart because he knows that he can take it and make something good of it. He can take your anxious heart and make it a heart of peace. He can take your self-centeredness and make it a blessing for others while he takes care of you. He can take the lies that are in our minds and turn them into the truth. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit. I'm going to talk a little bit about what I think that means. A broken and contrite heart. A contrite is willing to repent. Willing to recognize that I'm wrong and that God is right. Oh God, you won't despise a humble, contrite heart. What I have learned over my life is that the, the sacrifice that God is most delighted in is the sacrifice of a self-directed life. There's a young man in our church, um, y- young family. Um, he's one of these families that has got some challenges with a kid with serious illness and just having a really rough time at work really difficult time at work. So much so that he started looking for a job. Found a good job. Another uh, on, on, the, on the east coast of town. Actually in the southwest of the U.S. And he called me up. He says, "Lord, I need your wisdom. I need to know whether I should take this job. And I said to him this. I said, you know, God doesn't have any problem with you uh, investing your life in the workplace. He said 98, 99% of all Christians will work for a living out there in the marketplace, in some capacity. That's good. That's worship. He said, yeah, Lord, but I really think that God is calling me to full-time ministry, and I think if I take this more money, and this more responsibility, and if I leave this pain in my mind my, my behind, which is the job he's got, I'm pro- I think I'm going to be actually out of God's will. I said, well, if that's your conviction, if that's your conscience is telling you, you probably shouldn't take that job. And, and he didn't. And he's pursuing a, a different full-time ministry opportunity. And the story's not told, it's not completed. But he's following the Lord's will, not his own, not his own will. Um, all of us can can struggle with this from time to time. Uh, just recently I had some good friends of mine saying, hey Lloyd. There's a, a job in business that I think you could do, and I'd be willing to give you a good rep- recommendation for it. And I, I like business, to be honest with you. I liked my old job. I didn't go into ministry because I hated it. I hated my work. I went into ministry because I felt God was calling me to ministry. So, so anyway, I was like, man, that seems good. Yeah, I think I'll talk to him. And then I spent a night on it, and I said, oh, I don't think so. And here's, here's what the Lord was like. He said, Lord, do you have a good job? Yeah. Did I put you at high point? Yeah. As a pastor, yeah. Is it going pretty good? Pretty good, despite me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I called him back and said, no. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, it's a distraction. It's a distraction. And I need to let it go. I'm always fighting a self-directed will. How about you? That's, that's the sacrifice that God is looking for. A humble spirit, willing to recognize that He's better at being Lord of your life than you are. So, so in summary, we, the church succeeds in receiving Jesus as king when we embody his rule in the way in the world. We, we do this by embracing his word and sharing it. We do this by living our whole lives in sacrifice to Jesus. And lastly, we do it as we practice whole life stewardship, when we practice good stewardship in all of life. Greg Forster uh, is the one who wrote the book that our series is based on, Joy for the World. In this particular chapter about the church living out uh, Jesus's mandate to be prophet, priest, and king, he tells this story about a close relative of his who works uh, in a medical office with a job with a lot of repetition. This filing and receiving people in the medical office and sometimes it can be really difficult. And like most of us, in addition to having a job she wasn't that excited about, she, she was having issues with her own personal life. And now she, she was a Christian up until 18. She went to college. She left the faith. And now she's much older in her 40s. And uh, here's what got her back connected. Uh, the ladies that had a similar job to her, several of them were Christian. And when they would come to work to the same job that she hated, they came with a good attitude. And where she came just trying not to do anything, they came to bless as many people as they could. And she saw the gospel lived out in their lives. And from how they were stewarding what she thought was a not that important job, well, she realized that God was real and good. And so when she got with Greg, Greg uh, introduced the gospel to her again. She received Christ for the second time and uh, joined the church and has been faithful ever since. Whole life stewardship. You know, the gospel says that we are to be disciples and disciple makers. Now, you might not be like, uh, uh, I'll, I'll pick on Femi, because Femi will talk to anybody about Jesus anywhere. Amen. You might not be like that, right? But by your faithfulness at work and you not being ashamed of, of christ you sharing at the appropriate time that you know christ and that you serve christ and by you doing excellent faithful in work that you might think is not important you are part of our disciple making body amen Maybe you invite them into church, and maybe they listen to Nick. Maybe they come and pray, and maybe three years from now they come to Jesus. Amen. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of God's disciple-making engine, and you don't have to be have a great uh, personal uh, gift of evangelism. That might not be your thing. One of my favorite godly Christians is this woman Vanessa McDowell. Vanessa grew up in Madison. And went to uh, 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 Middleton High School, Um, uh, served at Mount Zion Baptist Church her whole life, Uh, went to UW and like so many uh, folks who were raised in godly homes, didn't abandon the faith, stayed plugged in in her church. Uh, In in addition to working with young people pretty much all of her life, she also is a, what, what kind of instrument does she play? Bass guitar? She's a bass guitarist as well. In fact, she has this one joke. She says when she was growing up in her parents' household, her whole family was at Mount Zion. He said, my dad taught me about a side hustle. Now, her dad had a, a good job working for uh, Madison College. He was a vice president of Madison College. But he, he was saving, and, 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 and she learned from his dad. that he, he always had to make ends meet. <laughs> and so when she was only, she, her first job out of college was working for the church. If you're looking for a high-paying job, don't work out of the college for the church. I just stood it out at Anyway. She, she worked for the church for, for eight years as the, uh, as the assistant to the senior pastor and was faithful uh, through some very difficult, tumultuous years at the end. And she left that job and then took an administrative job for the UW. And then the, uh, the CEO of the YWCA of Madison, it's about a 120-year-old organization, said, Vanessa, I've seen you faithfully uh, doing many great things with people. I think you'd be good in our organization. She brought her onto, into her organization as a director. In two years, the CEO got uh, promoted to a different uh, position in a different part of the country and said, I think you should take this young woman, barely 35, 36, single, and you should make her my interim CEO. Her board was stupid enough. I don't know. They, they did it. A year later, after they did a national search, it was clear that they should accept her to be the new CEO, Uh, several million-dollar budget, 30, 40 staff members. She says this, this is what she learned about leadership, full life discipleship, I'm talking about, whole life stewardship. She said, in order to be a leader, I had to learn how to serve first. She said, um, Upper House has a series right now, Faith in the Marketplace. And she was one of the people that they interviewed. She said, what I learned is that I had to learn how to serve before I could lead. And I was like, oh man, that's kind of interesting. Now, I went to Kellogg, they they don't really, they didn't teach it when I was there. They might teach it now, but when I was there, they didn't teach that. They had to learn how to serve before they could lead. Uh, And then she says, now that I have this responsibility, she says, I feel like I can't let the Lord down. I feel, she feels like a holy pressure to, to, to do what is good and right. And in her words, she says this. He says, Lord, you've entrusted me with this. I better make sure I steward it with excellence to the best of her ability, relying on the word of God as her standard, not our own thinking. Thy steward is with excellence. It's humbling to walk in the steps God has laid out for me, and I have plotted out my life to obey God. One of the questioners asked her, he said, do you have a five-year plan for the organization? She says, I don't believe in five-year plans. What I believe is understanding God's will and walking it out faithfully day to day. That's what got me here and that's what's going to keep me. Whole life stewardship. That whatever assignment God has given you, student, teacher, homemaker, mechanic, CEO, that you will embrace God's word as authoritative, that you will, by faith, devote your whole life to him and to, and to being a blessing to others and that you will live this out. You do recognize that only 2% of your time for most people is put into religious services. I, uh, you could be the most faithful person here. It's really about 2% of your hours are spent here serving on Sunday or Wednesday or Thursday. Just a, it's a small percent. Where... You live out and demonstrate Jesus as prophet, priest, and king in the world is in your apartments with your roommates or with your family, in your community groups, the the soccer teams or wherever else you find yourself, the coffee shops, right, in your workplaces. It's out in the world, 98% where you should demonstrate the joy of the Lord. You demonstrate it in how you live and how God blesses you through your faithfulness, and you demonstrate it by serving others. The church succeeds in receiving Jesus as king when it embodies him as prophet, priest, and king. One more idea. So uh, we, the elders, and staff are looking at um, a vision for the future. And uh, in 2010, when Pastor Nick came, um, there were about 300 and so adults at our church at the time. And we had set up these meetings where he would go from people's home to home in groups of about 20. And he recorded the things, the aspirations and the desires that people have for High Point Church at that time, High Point Church was in a difficult place. It was in decline. There hardly wasn't any people your age here. Um, uh, Lots of folks had left to go, quite frankly, to Black Hawk and other churches, okay? It was tough. And people said, man, we need a revitalized ministry for young professionals. We need to get our children's and youth ministry. We need to be multi-generational. We need to continue our faithfulness to the word. There were about eight or 10 things we need to get our finances back in, in order because it had been just a decline. And by the grace of God, we, we looked at the list. Everything was completed. And we were like, well, now what's next? And we, heard, we were spent three hours with a bunch of ideas and visions. Good stuff, good stuff, godly stuff. At least we hope they are. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. But the only thing that Pastor Nick really got excited about, and uh, uh, Kent, our elder board chair, picked up on it, is he like, listen, He says in my pastoring my burden is that not a lot of Christians are experiencing the full maturity in Christ. That they are brittle and broken down and hurting. And people, some have been following Jesus for 30 years some for just two. And my burden is that Christians would be fully mature and complete in Christ. That's my my burden. That's what I see God calling us to. Whenever I see Paul talk about what the church should be, whether it be in Colossians or Ephesians, that's what I see. Fully mature, whole, complete, sturdy, perseverant, rock solid, substantive. Colossians 1 and 28 puts it this way. Jesus is the one we proclaim. And and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So at High Point, we want new non-believers to become Christians. But we don't want them to just muddle as as, uh, baby Christians. We want them to become rock solid, persevering, full of joy, kindness, able to endure difficulties and still be faithful so that we, we want a fully developed disciple. In 2, 6, and 7, in the same paragraph, Paul is still talking about what he had been called to do. He says this, he says, So then, just as you received Jesus at the beginning, when you got saved, continue to live your lives in Jesus, rooted, built up, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness so that we are to be joy in the world. We are most joyful when we are most mature in Christ. Joy to the world comes when no matter what hits us, we know who we are in Christ, and we know whose we are. Let us pray. Lord, this is the kind of joy that we have in you. This is why you, this is why you came. This is, this is why you died on the cross. This is why you preached the truth and then lived it out. This is why you gathered the earliest disciples. This is why they died. Not only did you die for this, but they, many of them died so that we would be wholly yours, that we would be uh, Christians of substance uh, who, under, who are wise in knowledge and in faith, who have growing understanding, uh, even uh, uh, dwelling on the most complicated things so that we can understand it well and live it out and share it with others for their well-being and their, and their goodness and their flourishing. Lord, make us, even though we know we are not yet fully complete, Paul says in uh, Philippians 3. He says that he hadn't quite made it, but one thing he will do. He lays everything aside and stretches towards the mark of, of fullness in you. Let us be a church like that. And, and let us be attractive to those who have yet to come to you uh, in repentance and faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.